Amen, friends. Let's, let's do this. Let's do this thing. Let's get into our Bibles. Um, we're going to be in Colossians 3 this morning. And so if you didn't bring a Bible with you, man, I want to encourage you to, to do that, to bring a Bible from home. But if you didn't, there's one uh, underneath the seat there in the front of you in that rack. You can reach down there. You can pull out a blue Bible. And we're going to be in Colossians 3. And in the blue Bible, it's on page 1,088. 1,088 is where we're going to be. And so I'll give you a minute to flip there to Colossians 3. We are we're landing the plane. We're ending this series this morning, The Wonderful Spirit-Filled Life. Um, and kind of as we do, every week we've been able to text in questions, and we've answered those questions. Uh, this morning at the end of our time, we actually have a baptism this morning. I'm super excited about that. And so we're not going to be answering questions at the end of our time. And so I'm just going to answer the question that we got uh, last week right now before we actually get into this week, if that's, if that's okay. Some of you, you can tune me out if you don't care about this. Uh, somebody last Sunday asked this question. I've lost it. They, they asked the question, basically, what happens to the Holy Spirit in us when we die, right? Um, what, what happens? Um, and so... There's no place in the Bible where we can go to and say, oh, well, Paul says in, you know, right here, that when you die, the Holy Spirit does this. Um, that, that doesn't exist. And so we just kind of have to take what we understand and what we know about death and what, what the Holy Spirit, right? The Spirit is life, right? Producing life in us. Um, and so when, when we die, right, the Spirit is no longer in this earthly body is no longer in this earthly body. We, when, for the follower of Jesus, when, when our eyes close in death, right, they're awakened to Christ, open to Christ. There's, there's Jesus, right? And we get to experience what the Holy Spirit has been doing for all eternity and what God the Father and God the Son has been doing all eternity. So this community of perfect worship, perfect delight, perfect adoration, perfect love for each other. We get to experience that. Right? And one day we know that I mean, our bodies will rise um, and the Spirit will play a role in that. The power of God will play a role in that. Um, we don't know exactly uh, how that's parsed out exactly, but I mean, the Spirit is, will continue to be active for, for all eternity just as He has been for all eternity past. Um, and so, careful. Uh, when, we, when we die, nutshell, that's what happens. All right, let's, let's do this. Let's get into uh, Colossians 3 this morning together. Um, here at Flourishing Grace, we believe this is the Word of God. And so in honor and reverence to it, if you're able and willing, would you stand with me as I read it for us this morning? We're going to read a pretty long section, uh, verses 1 through 17. And so maybe this morning, just, just pause and let's ask the Spirit to impress upon us, to illuminate the text, impress upon uh, what He wants us to hear. Let's ask him to do that now. Colossians 3.1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetedness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked, when you were living in them, 
But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ dwell in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. All right, so right out of the gate, some of you might be kind of wrestling with and asking the question, okay, hang on, the Spirit-filled life, this is the, we're landing the plane on the Spirit-filled life, but I didn't see any mention in that text of the Holy Spirit. Like, what, I don't, wait, what, what are we doing? Here's what I want to do this morning. So over the past three weeks, right, we've done, for those of you who've been with us, right, we've done kind of some theological heavy lifting, right? We talked about who the Spirit is and who the Spirit is not. We talked about what the Spirit does, right, kind of theolo- like the big bucket, spiritual gifts, uh, spiritual fruit, who the Holy Spirit is and His relationship and the Trinity within the Godhead, right? We've, we've talked about talk, and talked about and talked through all those things and His indwelling in us. Right? What I want to do today is just get super, super, super practical. Right? And I want to walk through this text and show right, this idea. What's being, what Paul is describing in this text is this beautiful image of a follower of Jesus. And when you look at it, when you, when you, when you just kind of look at what he describes there, if you're honest with yourself, you say, man, if I tried to do that, if I try to put away all anger and malice and obscene talk and I tried to put on all these good, unbelievable kindness and gentleness, if I try to do that, I would fail every day in that endeavor. So what Paul is actually describing is one who is filled with the Spirit, one who is living a Spirit-filled life. And so this morning, as we get really, 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 really practical, I just want to ask the questions, how do I know if I'm filled with the Spirit? How do I become filled with the Spirit? And how do I live this out every single day? How, do, how am I filled with the Spirit every single day? Last Sunday, Josh Gardner, who's our minister to students, uh, talked about um, kind of the, 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 this cr- the crazy videos that you can find online of people who are, who are claiming to be filled with the Spirit, or in their words, slain in the Spirit, where they're like, falling over and convulsing and, and just like going off on crazy tongues and uh, men just hitting each other and like collapsing and uh, wielding snakes and all kinds of crazy things. Listen, I'm not interested in that at all. I'm just not interested in that at all. 
When I see the men of Scripture filled with the Spirit, what we see are Peter at Pentecost, right, who's filled with the Spirit and then just delivers this unbelievable sermon and compelling gospel message to a people who had just got done not many days before that, murdering Jesus on the cross. And here, here Peter, who was so cowardly and so... Um, so passive and hiding, right, is now bold and strong and eloquent and lifting up the name. Like that, that's I'm interested in. I see Stephen, who knows he's about to be stoned to death with boldness, face his murderers and say, man, let me, let me, let me just break down the whole history of the Old Testament, how it all points to Jesus, the one whom you crucified. Let, let's, just, let's just unpack and talk about Jesus. What we see are men and women who are advancing the kingdom of God, not by their own means, but by the means of the power of God, which lives within them, right? That's the life that I want to live. And I, my hope is that's the life that you want to live. I want to live a spirit-filled life. And yet for so many of us, what we have acknowledged over the past few weeks is even though theologically we might be able to kind of compartmentalize this, we might be able to kind of wrap our minds around this, right? So many of us would say that that doesn't describe my life spirit-filled. And so let's just get really, 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 really practical this morning. What I want to do is I want to give you 2.5 indicators of a spiritual, spirit-filled life, right? How do I know that my life is spirit-filled? I'm going to give you two and a half ways to... Look at that, right? Uh, I'll explain the half part in a little bit. I'm going to give you two and a half um, kind of means to which you can live or producers of a spirit-filled life. So 2.5 producers of a spirit-filled life. And again, we'll get to the half part later on. I know it's confusing. The first, the first producer of a spirit-filled life, we see it right there, right out of the gate in verse 1, right? Paul begins with this huge, gigantic if, right? This is only true if. If then you have been raised with Christ, right? If then you've been raised with Christ. If you have surrendered your life, you've put what Paul would say, the old self to death. Who, sorry, who I was before Jesus is no longer who I am. I have put that old person to death. I no longer want to live for that guy. I want to live for Jesus. He rules over me. He is the king of my life. If then, this is only possible, this is only possible, the spirit-filled life is only possible if then you have been risen, you've raised with Christ You've been raised with Christ, right? We talked about this a little bit in, in, the first, in the first week of this series, that this idea that this is only available. The Spirit of God indwells those who have given their lives to Jesus, who have fully entrusted their life to Christ. And I know there's people in this room who, who have not done that. There are people in this room who, who would say, man, I, I'm ex- I, maybe you came here with a friend this morning. Uh, maybe you're just interested. You're curious. You're kicking the tires. But, but, man, I'm not sure I believe this, right? The Spirit indwells followers of Jesus who have surrendered their rights, the fullness of their life, to his rule and reign. And he does not indwell those who do not, okay? So there's, this if then is a huge piece. So the first prerequisite to a Spirit-filled life 
is Christ. The first prerequisite of a spirit-filled life, the thing that we must do is give our lives to Jesus. Jesus on the cross, by his blood, cleanses his people. His blood is the payment for my sin. Not by my merit, not by all these things that I've done. Look at all these great things I've done. No, there's none of that to show. There's none of that in my life. I can't produce these things and say, well, I did this and I did this, and so therefore I'm worthy of his blood. No, not by any of my merit, but only by his blood. I'm cleansed and I'm clean. I'm forgiven. My sins have been covered by his righteousness. And in his death... I am given the gift of righteousness. Jesus clothes me in his own righteousness and takes my sin upon himself. He imputes his righteousness upon me. It is now mine. It's like my skin. I can't remove it. I'm fully righteous in Christ. And because of that, the Spirit of Christ can now take up residence inside that which is righteous. Just like the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament where God would come and dwell with his people. Now God dwells within his people. This is why Paul says there's no longer a need for temples. There's no longer a need for houses that we would build with human hands for God. No, God has built once and for all a final place where he will dwell in his people. And so in Christ, in Christ the Spirit comes and dwells within us. But now listen, there is a difference between indwelling and filling. Okay, these are two different ideas. I said at the beginning, the very first week of this, when you become a follower of Jesus, the Spirit comes to indwell within you, and He never leaves. He will never leave. If you are in Christ, you, you may. You may be in a rough season of life right now. You might be going through it. You might be in an absolute raging storm of life right now. The Spirit of Christ, if you are in Christ, dwells in you. Rest in that this morning. Celebrate that this morning. That's a joy, a truth of God's Word this morning. The Spirit of Christ dwells in you. If you are in Christ, if you've given your life to Him. But does that mean that He fills you? Those are not the same things. That's a different thing, right? And so we need to be filled with the Spirit if we're going to live a Spirit-filled life. What do I mean by this? Well, the best illustration, and I know it's an old one. If you've been around, you've probably heard this before, but I, I like it because I like, I like chocolate milk, all right? And the chocolate milk illustration is a good illustration, right? If you, if you wanted to, how many of you made chocolate milk before? Everybody. That's why this works. Everybody knows what I'm talking about, right? If you want to make some chocolate milk, you go get the glass and you fill it with milk, And then you go get the Hershey's syrup. I know some of you are already getting that sweet tooth. You're like, "Um, yes, I want, where's the chocolate milk? We got chocolate milk for everybody this morning. Bring it out. Just kidding. I wish. You squeeze it into, you squeeze it into the glass. Where does that chocolate go? The bottom of the glass, right? So it's in the glass, but is it filling the glass? No, it's not filling the glass. It's just, it's just in there. It's indwelling the glass. It's indwelling in the milk and then in the glass, but it's not filling the glass. What you need is a spoon, right? you got to stir that up. And as you stir it, right, the milk begins to bond with the chocolate, and the chocolate bonds with the milk, and the chocolate now 
fills the whole glass, and that's what makes it taste delicious and sweet and magical and wonderful and all those good things. But now if your kids are like my kids, they take a few sips, and they're like, ah, I'm going to come back to that later. And so I put it in the fridge. Actually, I just drink it all and give, make it more later. But I put it in the fridge, right? And I come back the next day. And that, what was this chocolatey, brown, delicious milk, what color is it now? It's white, right? All that chocolate has now sunk back down to the bottom of the glass. Once again, it's indwelling the glass, but it's not filling the glass. Okay, in the same way, in the same way, for every person who has given their life to Jesus, the Spirit of Christ is in us, the Holy Spirit is in us, but it does not necessarily mean He is filling us. It does not necessarily mean He is filling us. And so the question is, how? How do we become filled with the Spirit every single day? Yeah, I think in this text, we see some things. In the, in the very same verse, verse 1, in the second part of that, Paul says this. He says, seek, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are of earth. Right? So we seek and set our minds. Living a spirit-filled life involves a daily seeking and setting of the Mind, the spirit-filled life begins in the mind, and it must begin every single day. This is a daily practice of a follower of Jesus who is living a spirit-filled life. The seeking and setting of the mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are of this earth. Right? What's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? Some of you. Right? Most, most Americans, right, we know this, right? There's been studies on this. The average American, the first thing to do when they wake up in the morning is they reach for their phone, right? And we begin with, like, all right, I got to check the news, right? I'm going to stroll through the news because what, what happened while I was sleeping? I got to know. I got to know instantly the moment my eyes wake up. Or maybe it's social media, right? Well, what's happening in the, in the world of my friends and the influencers on Instagram or TikTok or Facebook or whatever it is that you're on? Right? We begin to social, maybe, maybe you start playing the game on your phone. Like, I just got to wake up my brain a little bit, right? Um, maybe some of you have kids, right? And your eyes open and your kid is just standing there staring at you. Oh, wow, this is creepy. What are, you, what are you doing? I'm waiting for you to wake up, right? Oh, why, why are you waiting for me to wake up? Because you're supposed to entertain me, clown. Like, that's your job. Like, get out of bed and make me breakfast and get me dressed and do all, right? And so the moment your eyes wake up, it's like go time. Like, you're in, you're in like dad mode or mom mode, and you're just like, all right. And so you don't have time to think. You don't have time to process. You're just like, you're just going, right? It's time to, to get these kids dressed. And if it's school, it's during the school year, it's like, get them out the door, get them on the bus, get them to school, right? It's like, go, 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 go. Maybe you're like me. And it takes you a little while to wake up in the mornings, right? I mean, my, my wife's like, she, like, she's up. She's ready to go. Me, well, I'm a little slow in the mornings, right? My, my brain is like a little cloud of haze in the morning. It takes me a little, I need a little caffeine in my system to, to get things going. And so that first, like, 30 minutes for me is 
a blur. It's just like, oh, it's like numb. I'm like, oh, just kind of stumbling through my house for 30 minutes when I wake up in the morning. Maybe, uh, maybe you're, you're kind of like a type A, right? You just, the moment you wake up, you're just thinking about your day, right? All the things you have to do, your, your, the meetings, your calendar, your schedule, your agenda, all the things you need to mark off the to-do list, the things you're going to accomplish that day, right? And your, your brain's just already going, already processing, already in it. Here's where I'm going with this. Everybody that I've ever known in my entire life that has lived a spirit-filled life, the first thing they do in the morning is seek and set their minds on the things above rather than the things of this earth. I believe that this is a requirement, a prerequisite for a spirit-filled life. Yes, you got to give your life to Jesus. The Spirit must be in you. A spirit-filled life is an everyday event, a moment-by-moment event of life. And it begins when our eyes open by seeking and setting our minds on the things that are above before we do anything else or thinking of Him. Um, Man, I love Psalm 90. Uh, This is like a great kind of morning prayer. I actually preached on Psalm 90 last Sunday at Church of the Cross. We did a whole series on Psalm 90 here at Flourishing Grace. You can go back and listen to that. It's a psalm of Moses. And that last, that second half of Psalm 90, there's these kind of six imperatives. They're really, really easy to memorize and just begin to apply them to your prayer, right? For some, for some of us, we're like, I don't know what it means to like seek and set my mind on the things above. I, okay, I wake up, well, what do I do? I, I pray, I read my Bible, what, what do I pray? I don't know what to pray, right? Psalm 9 is actually a great place to, to start with this. It's really, really simple. There's six what I call imperative requests, right? They're like these commands, but they're really requests. Um, Moses realizes, who's, who's the writer of Psalm 90, right, that we are desperate for these things every single day. Um, for those of you who have been around, what's the first one? That's right. Teach us to number our days, right? Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom, right? They're easy to remember. Teach me to number my, my, my days. Right, this morning, when I wake up, the first thing I want to remember is that this day, this one, right now, there's breath in my lungs, there's blood in my veins. This is a gift from God, and His mercies are new every morning. And this one day is one tick on this short clock that is my life, and it's going to move by fast. And so this day is precious, and so teach me to number my days. I want this day to be worth something. I want this day to be meaningful. I want this day to, to advance the kingdom. I want this day to have purpose and significance. Teach me to number my days, and let me remember this morning that this one is precious. Second one is return. Return, our Lord. Right? Moses says, return, our Lord, how long? Right? How long? If this day is going to be meaningful, if it's going to be filled with purpose and significance, I need Jesus to fill my day. I need the Spirit to fill my life. I, return, O oh Lord. I, I, you were with me yesterday, and, but I'm, I'm reminded this morning that I need you again today. Give me today this daily bread. I need you today. I need you today. Fill me now. Next one is satisfy. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Satisfy me today. Let me be satisfied in you. Remind me right now of all that I have. 
my eternal redemption, my eternal, eternal riches, my eternal rewards. Satisfy me in your steadfast love that while I was a still, still a sinner, you gave your life for me. You loved me in my lowest estate, and you love me today. When my eyes opened this morning, I was loved by the eternal, infinite God of all things. Fill me with satisfaction in that. Because if you don't, I'm going to chase all the wrong things. All the things of this earth, that's what I'm going to be chasing today. Because I'm going to believe that they're going to satisfy me. Satisfy me with the one thing that will actually satisfy me. The next one um, is uh, make us glad. Make us glad for as many days as you've afflicted us. All right, make me happy today. Now, that's a strange thing to pray, but if you think about it, it's really not. Right? Give me all, let me find all my joy and all my delight and all my happiness in you, not in the things of this earth. Because I know, I know if I am not glad in you, I will seek happiness in all the wrong things. Set my mind, set my joy, set my happiness on you and you alone. The next one is show us. Show us what you're doing. Show us the work of your hands. Show me where you're moving around me. Show me where you're moving in my, in my marriage. Show me where you're moving in, in my career, in my job. Show me where you're moving in my kids today. Don't let me walk through this day blinded and just focus on myself, but show me what you're doing around me. I want to see you today. And the last one is establish the work of my hands. Establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands, right? This morning, I know today, I will go about my day and I will do all these things that I think are good, that I think are worthy, that I think are impressive. And it's just not, it's gonna lie to myself today unless you establish the work of my hands. And so would you do that today? Would you establish the work of my hands? Would you establish the work of my hands in my marriage? I don't wanna waste my days trying to be the best husband I can be. What a failure. I don't want to waste my days being the best dad I can be. Would you establish the work of my hands in my parenting? Would you establish the work of my hands in my job and my career? I need you. Those six imperative requests are simple things you can memorize in the morning when you wake up, right? Man, just begin to pray those things. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are of this world. How do I know if I'm filled with the Spirit? How do, how do I know? What's the evidence of this? I'm going to give you a couple things, right, um, that Paul gives us. The first is obedience. We see this in verse 5. Paul says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetedness, which is idolatry. He goes on down in verse 8. He says, You must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk obedience is a mark of a spirit-filled life. And so today, if my life is marked by these things, guess what? Not spirit-filled, right? Now, does that mean the Spirit's still dwelling in me? Yes, right? The sweetness of the gospel is that, when this, is that Jesus does not stand here and say, when you get your life together, then I will come place my spirit in you. Then I will make you righteous, right? So you go get that figured out, and then I'll, no, 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 right? While we're still sinners, Christ dies for us. He gives us his life for us. He makes us righteous and then puts his spirit in us and empowers us to live out this life, a life of obedience. 
He, by the power of his spirit, is empowering us to live obedient lives. He's empowering us to put away anger and wrath and malice. He's empowering us to put away obscene talk. He's empowering us to put away sexual immorality. He's empowering us to put away covenants. It's not by my own means. And so as I strive by my own means and fail, it's proof that I'm not living a spirit-filled life. How do I know I'm living a spirit-filled life? By his power, my life is being transformed. These things are being put away. This old self, this old self is dying, and the new self is growing. However, on the days when we give up, when we are not filled, we are not empowered. When we neglect the spirit, we cannot hold back these things, these works of the flesh. When we neglect the Spirit, we are given over to anger. We're given over to obscene talk and covetedness and impurity. Many of us have experienced these sweet seasons of life where we experience kind of victory over the flesh, as Paul says, right? We're experiencing victory over these sinful ways, and we're, we live our lives in this kind of sweet moment where we're walking in the Spirit, as Paul says, or keeping in step in the Spirit, or being led by the Spirit, as Paul says, where we live in a Spirit-filled life, and there's victory over this old life of sin. We've also lived seasons of life. We're under our own power, weary and worn out. We try and we try and we try, and our lives are marked by these things. And so this is a really, really easy kind of exam, a self-exam, to just ask myself the question, ask yourself the question, and what is marking my life right now? If I were to ask your spouse, or your kids, is his or her life, is it marked by anger? Or are they just constantly just frustrated, constantly raging, constantly wrathful? Is that, is that what this person's known as? If that's true, you cannot be a living a spirit-filled life. Is this person's life marked by obscene talk? Is that just what they're known for? Like, do your kids just know you as um, the, the, the parent who's kind of curses all the time? Just obscene talk constantly. If that's true, you can't be living. This, this does not mean that there's not moments of anger. It doesn't mean that there's not moments where you, like, drop a hammer on your toe and something slips out of your mouth. What marks your life? Is that a marker of your life? Are you marked by covetedness? Are you constantly the person who's known as I mean, just always needing the next new thing? You see somebody else, they get this new car, they get this new toy, they get this new whatever, and you're like, oh my gosh, I need that. You're constantly longing for them. You see people on social media, and you need to portray this image of yourself to the world, of, of somebody who's got it all together and got it all figured out. Is that who you are? Covenants, sexual immorality. Are you somebody who's constantly looking at other places other than your spouse, whether that's pornography or a sexual affair? Is that marker of your life? Is that a marker of your life? If so, you cannot be living a spirit-filled life. It doesn't work that way. You cannot be living a spirit-filled life. So what are the positive marks? This is the next piece. 
we see. There's kind of three big ones. There's a whole list that Paul gives in verse 12. I'll read it in a second. But there's three that really kind of stand out, that he kind of flushes out, draws out. Um, and those are love, peace, and thankfulness. Paul says this in verse 12. He says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one of you has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And then he says, above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Love, peace, thankfulness. So as we are filled with the Spirit, the old self is put off, it's put away, it's put to death. This is the language of Paul. All of those things are diminished in our life. And the Spirit begins to produce these new works, these works of the Spirit in our life, right? Binger, a couple weeks ago, talked about uh, the fruit of the Spirit, right? And in many ways, this is the fruit of the Spirit, right? This is, the, this is what the Spirit is producing in our lives, the supernatural love in the midst of hate, a supernatural peace when the world around us is raging, right? And again, as I said before, this does not mean that there's not moments of stress, moments of uncertainty, moments, right? But what it means is when the storms of life begin to rage, and they will if they're not right now, when nothing is going the way that you think it should be going, when, when the people in your life are seemingly all against you, when, when everything is disrupted and there's anxiety and chaos and disorder and all these things in your life, right? With, with a person who's living a spirit-filled life, more likely than not, is asleep in the front of the boat with Jesus rather than in the back of the boat with the disciples freaking out, not knowing what to do. The person who is living a spiritual-filled life is a, is a non-anxious presence in a world filled with anxious presences. Somebody who's not promoting doubt in a modeling stress and strife, but a person of intense supernatural peace. That's a spirit-filled person. Next week, we're going to start a new series here at Flourishing Grace um, called Serpents and Doves. Serpents and Doves. And, and it's really this uh, whole series on men. How do we, as followers of Jesus, live in a world um, that is so opposed to the way of Jesus? H how do we do this, right? It's based on that, that, that teaching of Jesus that we're to be wise as serpents, right, and gentle as doves. And we're going to unpack kind of some of the things that are happening in our culture and happening around us. But I bring it up this morning to, to really say, when, when I look at the culture, even this past week, this past week and eruptions in culture, and I look at the church and how the church responds in moments of strife, in moments of stress, I do not, by and large, I do not see a non-anxious presence. I see people who are adding anxiety adding strife. I don't see a people of intense supernatural peace and love and thankfulness. I see people who are fiery and ticked off 
and angry and stressed out and anxious and just want more. I do not see a spirit-filled people. I see a selfish people, a people who are living by their own power. And we all want to be free of these things. And friends, we know this, we know this, we know this. The only way you ever live free of those things is not by your own power, not by your own merit, but by the work of the Spirit in your life. Let him produce supernatural peace that rules in your heart. Let him produce supernatural love in the face of intense hatred. Let him produce supernatural thankfulness and contentment. Right? This is the kingdom of God. Paul says it this way in Romans 14, 17. He says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Right? This is a debate that's been had. Right? Well, can we eat this? Can we drink this? Can we not? He's like, no, 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 no. It's not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what the kingdom of God is. A non-anxious, completely peaceful presence, full of joy and gladness, righteousness and love in the Holy Spirit. How do we do this? How do we do this? Well, we talked about seeking and setting our minds. I said there's 2.5, right? I've given you two. I'm going to give you 0.5. The, the 0.5 is this, okay? The 0.5 is kind of both and. It's a marker of a spirit-filled life, and it's a requirement of the spirit-filled life. It's a how and a how do we know, if that makes any sense at all, right? So it's both and. And that's this. It's the Word of God, the, the Word of God, and this is what Paul says um, in verse 16. He says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God, right? Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. The Word of God is a requirement for the spirit-filled life, right? If you want to live a spirit-filled life, the Word of God must dwell in you richly, okay? This is how we seek and set our minds, yes, through prayer, but also through the Word of God, right? We talk about praying through Psalm 90. you got to know the Word of God in order to pray Psalm 90, right? We've got to be people who are in the Word every single day, but at the same time, it's a marker of a spirit-filled life, right? The Spirit... When the Spirit empowers us to grasp and understand the Word of God, right, there's a marker of a spirit-filled life. People who, who grasp and understand the Word of God. The Word of God, um, man, to, to those who are perishing is, is foolish. It doesn't make any sense, right? The gospel is, is craziness to, to those who don't have the Spirit of God. But to those who have the Spirit in dwelling in them and filling them, right? There's a clarity to this. Jesus says it this way in John 16, 13. He says, man, I'm going to send my spirit to you, and this is what's going to happen. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, he, the spirit, will guide you in all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Like there's a supernatural clarity in all truth he's going to lead us and guide us right this is a marker of a spirit-filled life people who love their bibles and are grasping and understanding and then again this doesn't mean that man 
I understand every single verse and all of my questions are now answered in an instant, in a moment, right? But I'm growing in my knowledge of the word as the spirit is illuminating this in my heart, right? This is what's happening. Also, the spirit is using the word in my life. The spirit is increasing our peace by guiding us into this truth and he's also wielding the word in my life. Ephesians 6, 16 says this, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take up the helmet of salvation. Now listen to this. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer in supplication, right? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, right? The, 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 as we place the Word of God into our minds and into our hearts, the Spirit wields it as a sword, wields it as a tool in our life to cut down our sin, to cut down, to lead us and to guide us, to defend us with the Word of God, right? What what does Jesus use to defend himself against Satan in the wilderness? The Word of God. The Spirit is alive in Christ, wielding the Word of God to defend the attacks of the evil one. In the same way, in the same way, the Spirit uses the Word of God to defend us against the attacks of the evil one. It's his, it's his weapon, and, but we must be a people who are in the Word every single day, setting our minds on the things that are above every single day, and moment by moment, depending on Him every single moment of the day. We need the Spirit in our lives. Listen, I know that every single one of us in the room desires the things that are being described here. We desire a life that is marked by intense supernatural peace. Anybody in the room like, not want that? Like, I don't really want supernatural peace. No. We want supernatural peace. We want supernatural love. Nobody wants, nobody wants to be a hateful person. I want supernatural love. I want supernatural thankfulness. I want to be content in my days. We want the work of the Spirit of God. We want the Spirit to produce work. I don't want to be this weary person who's under my own power trying to muster up something great in my marriage. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants it. We want what only the Spirit can produce. And yet, and yet, we are a people who are constantly, regularly neglecting his work in our lives. And so my call to you this morning and kind of over the past four weeks now as we've been walking through this is to take the spirit-filled life a little bit more seriously than maybe you had before, to pursue it with a little bit more vigor than you had before, to, to wake up in the morning and try to seeking and setting your mind on the things that are above same spirit, I need you to fill me today. In the moment that you, would, that you would be aware that in the moment when you feel anxiety or stress, there's an uncomfortable circumstance, that your, your, your reaction would not be, okay, I need to figure this out, but it would be, I need to surrender this to the Lord. I need the spirit to fill me, to give me wisdom. I need, I need to go to the word. I need to put the sword in his hand and allow him to wield it in my life rather than trying to do this under my own power. I want to leave you with another quote from Charles Stanley. 
uh, who we've quoted a lot in this series from his work, The Wonderful Spirit-Filled Life. He says this, the Holy Spirit will become as important to you as you allow him to be. He won't force himself on you. He sits back quietly and waits. Give him control. He's not asking for rededication. He's asking for surrender. Surrender is tough. It's hard to surrender our lives. It's hard to surrender moment by moment. Fully trust that the Spirit's going to catch you. When you're drowning in a pool, it ain't easy to just stop kicking. My wife last year, she had LASIK eye surgery. It's crazy. It's crazy that they can even do this, right? There's a moment in the surgery where they've like cut the skin on her eye and like pulled back the flap of the, it's gross, man, with a laser. And then they, yeah, I watched the whole thing. It's fascinating. It's awesome. So they do this whole thing on this one machine and then they got to get you to like another machine. And they're like, all right, we're gonna, we need to stand up now and, and we need to move you to the other machine. And, and she says, no, 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 you don't understand. I can't see. I'm like, yeah, yeah, we, we, yeah, we know. Like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, I'm like blackout, blind. I'm, I think I'm blind now. Like, no, 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 no. Like, no, no, I think you jacked this up. I can't see. Like, lights out completely blind. We're like, no, 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 trust us. We've done this a million times. Come on, we got you. And, and now, now she can see completely perfectly, better than 2020 vision, like this incredible, incredible thing. It's like, it's amazing. And now just moment by moment through our days, moment by moment by moment by moment by moment, like we are, we are blinded by the things of this world, blinded by all the things that are coming at us, bl- blinded by, by my own anger, blinded by my own rage, blinded by my own covetedness, blinded by, by my own desires. Blinded by sexual immorality. The Spirit's like, no, 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 listen, surrender. Just relax. Give it to me. Let me take you. I want to lead you and guide you into supernatural love, into supernatural peace, into supernatural thankfulness, the likes of which you can never find on your own. That's what I want for you, church. That's what I want for you. Let's do this. Let's bow our heads. I want to give you a minute, just an opportunity this morning to just surrender. Where right now in this moment of your life are you kind of trying to find your way through by feel because you're so blinded by your own stuff? Where right now in your life are you trying to figure out how to fix this marriage or fix your kid or fix your career, fix your own heart, your own identity, your own past that's checked up your mind and where are you blind? Can you release that this morning? Can you, can you surrender that? Can you stop kicking in the deep end of the pool? Can you know that he's got you? And that what he wants for you is far better than you could ever begin to imagine for yourself.
Holy Spirit, would you help us? Would you empower us to live spirit-filled lives? And I know that you're not going to force us into this. You're not, you're not going to turn us into robots who just do everything that you want us to do. But you long for us to live fuller, richer, sweeter lives. For those of us in the room who have not given our lives to Jesus, for those of us in the room who have, who have failed to surrender our lives to Christ, would we take that first step? Would we give our lives to Jesus? For those in the room who, who, who man, are trying to do this under our own power, we've given our lives to Jesus, but we're still just like, we think we can accomplish it. We think we can do it, and we're tired, we're weary, and we're anxious, we're stressed out. Would you help us take a breath and release our grasp on the things of this world. We put our trust and our hope in you and you alone. We need you. First things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Friends, let's stand. Let's sing one last song together. And then we're going to celebrate a baptism this morning.